0: Come on, Summer Church. I'm in Foley, Alabama, home of the Lions. Come on, talk to me. Foley Lions, grab a seat, grab a seat. So glad to be here. What an honor. Brother, what a prayer. I mean, we could just say amen after that prayer and just gone on home. I mean, come on. I do want to recognize our, our fire chief, too. Thank you for your service to our community. We, we love our first responders. You guys are the best, you guys are the best. Well, I feel very home in Foley because 25 years ago I got adopted into the Warner family. And the Warner family here in Baldwin County, of course they live in a little burg outside of here called Alberta, but uh, you know, uh, the, the Warner family have been so great to me and, and I've been a part of that family. The only real disappointment I've had with joining the Warner family 25 years ago because when I, when I met all the Warner boys, I looked at them and I had this instant envy of their hair. (laughs) They have the thickest heads of hair I've ever seen in my life. So I thought by association, I would start showing a reflection of that with some stimulation in certain areas that I need stimulation in right here in the (laughs) center part of my head. But it never did work. But we love the Warner family. You know, this is the home of champions here because, you know, Kenny the Snake Stabler played at, at Foley High. I mean, I, I mean at, at the Lions, for the Lions. He went on to play for Alabama, of course, and went on to be a, a, a world champion with the Raiders. So you, you race champions, there. Julio Jones, he's another pretty decent player you had come out of here, out of Foley High, a Hall of Famer. And then the, other, the only other Hall of Famer I know from Foley High is Lester Warner. Lester, weren't you a Hall of Famer out of Foley High on the High School Hall of Fame? Come on, Mr. Tackle. Do you know he actually had the audacity to challenge me to a foot race a couple years ago? I was a running back in college. Now, there's no lineman going to outrun a running back, okay? Even though I got him by a few years, about 16 years I've got him by about 16 years, but he challenged me to a foot race, and I said, okay, we'll will run a 40-yard dash. That's what we ran in you know, college, we ran 40-yard wind sprints. And, and so we got up, so, so I said, we're gonna meet on Thanksgiving morning and we're gonna run a 40-yard dash. Well, what I didn't know was during that time, Lester hired a trainer, a speed coach to train him to run the 40-yard dash. Because remember, he's a lineman, I'm a running back. I know I don't look like it now, I look more like a lineman, but I used to be a running back. The day came, The only person he would trust to to judge the race and who the winner would be was my wife because I married the sister of Mother Teresa. I mean, mean, my wife is like the most holy, godly woman you've ever met, is my wife. The Lord knew I needed her to keep me on the straight and narrow. And by the way, pastor, I met your wife and all I got to say in football terms, you outkicked your coverage, okay? That's all I got to say, Melissa. He, he, he really outkicked his coverage, but we, we love them. But anyways, so it came the day of the race, the day of the moment. We got down, boom, we take off, and I exploded out of the blocks. Blew him up. Lyman can't fire off quick like running backs can. But to my amazement, about 30 yards into the race, I had totally lost him because I had spread such a gap between the two of us. I heard this locomotive coming down behind me, and it was a chug and chug and chug and chug and chug, and it was coming hard right behind me. And I broke through the finish line ahead of him, but he claims that he could have tackled me. <laughs> That's been my association with this all-American from Foley High School, this uh, Hall of Famer Lester Warner. But uh, we're up here because. Uh, We met your pastor, came to a conference down with us in Florida, and Pastor Lester has been keeping me, giving me play-by-play of what's going on with Summit Church, and when you gave us the invitation to come, we couldn't pass it up. We had to come here and hang out with you guys, because I, I believe in the church. I believe that this is God's plan for our nation and for the world, the church. The church is central to everything God wants to do. I've been married for 55 plus years to my bride, and if you saw her, you would say to me, "You outkicked your coverage." Okay, <laughs> and I did. But when we got married. We got married at 20. We got married very young at 20 years old. I was a sophomore in college, playing football, and. Um, we got married and i never forget it, we got married just up out of Dayton, Ohio, drove down to Cincinnati to, to a Holiday Inn, and I went and got a Frisch's Big Boy. Got a Frisch's Big Boy. It was our first meal together as a couple, Frisch's Big Boy and onion rings. It's a Saturday night. Sunday morning comes, I wake up, my wife's getting dressed for church. I'm going, baby, what are you doing? She said, well, it's Sunday, we're going to church. I said, wait a minute, baby. I've been dating you for four years. We kept ourselves pure. We were waiting until we were married. And and listen, we ain't going to church today. I, I got other plans today. And church, church, church is nowhere in those plans today. I'm telling you that right now. We went to church. Yeah, We've been in church ever since. <laughs> Someone asked me one time, what's the secret of your marriage? I said, the church. <laughs> I said, because every week, no matter how messed things got messed up, when we got back to, in, into the presence of God, where God speaks, where God's presence is, where God moves, where God's people are, it always brings your life back into balance. It always brings the relationships back into balance. I mean, it's central to everything. I love what the apostle Paul says to the church in, in Ephesus and he writes this, and I have this in a paraphrase translation in Ephesians 1, and 23. Look what Paul says. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. In other words, We're not supposed to be our main focus out here on the things of the world and the church is kind of over here, you know, kind of in our peripheral vision. No, it's to be the other way around. The church is to be central and the world is peripheral. Look what it goes on to say. The church is Christ's body, here we go, in which he speaks, acts, and by which his presence, he fills everything with his presence. Now think about it. If this is a place that you're gonna hear from God, see the hand of God move, and he's gonna fill every need in your life with his presence, why would you not wanna be in this place? You know, what Paul was declaring to the church at Ephesus, you've gotta make the things of God your priority. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God, all the other things be added unto you. But we get so distracted in our lives by so many other things. But I'm here to declare to you, Summit Church, God wants this to be your primary focus. Because out of this focus, you are brought into alignment and focus with the things of God. And then from that, he will guide you in all the peripheral things. He he knows all your peripheral challenges, but when you make this the priority of your life, it changes everything. The Apostle Paul said, listen, You are now in Christ. You become a new creation. All the old things have passed away and all things become new. And now you have been given the message of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. And you are now Christ's ambassadors as though he was making his appeal through you. Jesus prayed in, in John chapter 16, his priestly prayer in chapter 17 Father, I pray that they will receive the ministry you have given me. That's the church. What is our hope for our nation? The church. It's not in DC. Oh my goodness gracious. Let's have a moment of silent prayer. Oh Lord Jesus. (laughs) They don't have a clue up there what's going on. They don't have a clue. You know who has a clue to bring this nation to its greatness of where it needs to be? The church. (laughs) The church knows because we know Jesus. We know the author and the finisher of our faith. We know the one who has created all things and the only one that can speak things into order, the church. That's why I'm so sold on the church. And when I heard about coming up here and you guys launching this and building this beautiful new facility, my goodness gracious, the potential of Summit Church, you guys haven't even begun to understand what God's going to do here. He's gonna do great things here. So i want to tell you right now, don't you dare get comfortable with your seat. Because you're gonna come in one Sunday morning, your seat's gonna be filled with strange people you've never seen before. Who are these people? where do they come from? What, what, what are they? Because God's gonna start drawing them in. And you're gonna start bringing them in. And, God's, and by the way, don't, don't get content with one little service on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. No, no, no. That's not going to happen either. No, 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 Pastor. You're going to start having multiple services, chaos, confusion, cars running in and out. We started off, we, we were singing Kumbaya in a nice little place. Suddenly God showed up. We went from 100 people to 4,000 people overnight. Didn't even, we we don't know how we got there. We're on, we're on four acres of ground. We were creating such traffic jams out on our little two lane road out in front of us. People, people would come in, they thought it was a detour. They got sucked into our parking lot. They got stuck. Listen to this, they got stuck. They came in cussing mad and many of them got saved. Hallelujah, glory to God. Get ready Summit Church, get ready. But I'll tell you what, we're fighting for the very souls of our family, the very souls of this region, and the very soul of our nation. And I'm convinced the only source of salvation is going to come through the church. God's chosen people, the church. All those who are born again in the Lord Jesus Christ compose the body of Christ, which is the church. We may have different labels on our buildings, but we are a part of his glorious church. Where Jesus Christ is being exalted as the King of kings and Lord of lords, that's the place of God's church. And I, we're a part of that. Summit, you're a part of that. And I came here today with a simple, simple message we got to get off our heels, and we got to get balanced, our weight balanced spiritually, and we've got to get on offense. We've been on defense way too long. Josh, I- I- I'm getting ready to coach now, so I'm going to get this preaching jacket off, and I'm going to get my coaching hat on. Get my shirt loosened up. All I need is a whistle. (laughs) Praise God for Alabama. We in Florida have been hurting for years, and we finally got Tua. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for Tua. (laughs) And then this year with our first draft choice, we went to Alabama again and said, hey, Waddle, come down. We need somebody to catch the pass from Tua. I hope we recruited some more Alabama linemen and more Alabama running backs so we can do it. So let me hear it one time. Give me one Roll Tide. Roll Tide, come on. All you Auburn fans, we'll have a moment of silent prayer for you. Here's what I know about living on defense and here's what I'm concerned about is that we can become so passive and and we can set back so much and and we're watching things happening. Then we begin to spiritualize them in a way and and I'm going, what are we doing? God did not call the church to be passive or defensive. The church was called to pierce the darkness with the light and truth of Christ and stand out. We're to be on offense. But let me give you a few just practical things about when you get yourself in a defensive position in life. I, I got five of them written down, Here's here's number one. You're always reacting to pressure instead of initiating it. Have you thought about that? When you, when you guys have played football, you know. When you're on defense, you're always reacting, because the first move, the offense has the first move. So, you're trying to react to that. Coach Saban said, at Alabama, we don't want to be reacting to pressure. We want to be initiating pressure. Hello. God doesn't want us reacting all the time. He wants us to be in an offensive position where we're initiating the will and purposes of God in our community. That's where God will move. I'll tell you what I learned at, I learned that in high school. In high school, I started all four years in high school, played both ways. In my sophomore year, I came in defensively and as a running back was running in, I came in and I sat and I was waiting on the running back to come to me because I knew I had him pinned and I'm waiting and my weight got back and when that running back hit me, his face mask went right through my face mask, broke my nose and knocked out my forefront teeth. They dragged me off to the sideline. There was no concussion protocol when I played. All there was was ammonia capsules. You old-timers remember that. They broke ammonia capsules for me to breathe to bring me back awake. Here I am, they drugged me off, I was semi-conscious. They stuffed cotton in my nose to stop the bleeding, looked in my mouth, two of my teeth were still dangling by tissue. The coach extracted them, didn't charge me anything for it. Just distracted him, Stuff cotton in my mouth, got me another helmet, said, son, suck it up and get tough and get back in the game. I played the whole game. Don't remember a thing about it, but I played it. And I learned right then, and no longer am I gonna wait for contact, I'm gonna initiate contact. I, I, I'm gonna be initiating. Here's another disadvantage. When you play defense, all you're trying to do is hold ground instead of taking new ground. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. In the kingdom of God, Pastor, I'm convinced there's no such thing as status quo. You're either taking ground or you're losing ground. So all I know is this. If we're going to take new ground, we've got to have new initiatives. We've got to think differently. We've got to be willing to work harder, work with new initiatives, go in new ways, get creative for the kingdom of God, and don't let anything hold us back. And don't you dare let some of your traditions hold you back. We want everything that's of the Lord. I respect, listen, I grew up in the church where we sang hymn number 467 when we all get to heaven, first, second, and fourth stanza. Do you remember we never sang the third stanza? Does anybody remember that? You know, we never sang the third stanza of any hymn, except for just as I am at invitation, all five verses. (laughs) Until somebody got saved. I, I, I would give up myself and get saved again, just go up to get saved so, so, so we can end service and go to NW Rootbeer stand. you know, I want to come on. Here, here's another disadvantage. When you're playing defense and you're living on defense, you're always defending at your point of weakness instead of living at your point of strength. I was an offensive coordinator before I became a college head coach. I would study my opponents and find their weaknesses in their defensive structure or in their personnel and design our offensive plays to attack at their point of weakness. Instead of us living at a point of weakness, we need to be living at a point of strength. And when you take on offense, you go from your strength to strength to strength in what we do. Here's another thought. If you're always living on defense, You can't control the pace of the game. The pace controls you. The great theologian Vince Lombardi said, if you don't know who Vince Lombardi is, Google Vince Lombardi. He will not come up under anything theological. Although he was a man of strong faith. But he said this, fatigue will make cowards out of us all. If we allow the world to set the pace for us, it will lead us to exhaustion. We need to get in step with the Holy Spirit, the leadership of God, the Word of God, and we need to let that become our pace. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the what? The sons and daughters of God. Offense. You set the pace with the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and finally, this is pretty simple. You can't score if you don't have the ball. Hello, when's the last time somebody you had a little victory dance? You had a little scoring opportunity, and that's what Jesus came to do. John 10:10. 10, 10. You know that verse? I've come to you, might have life, and have it abundantly. Coach's translation. I'm translating the New Testament in Coach's translation, and as soon as I get it done, I'm going to send it up here to Foley, Alabama, for you that's the only way some of these men are going to ever understand the scriptures. <laughs> I told you there was no concussion protocol back when we played. We've had so many hits, we're lucky to know where we are. Praise God. I, where are we? Are we in Louisiana? No, no, we're in Alabama. Okay, here we go. Good. John 10.10 says this, I have come that you might have the ball and you can run with it, and you will score, and you will experience the exhilaration of scoring when you're a part of my team. The enemy wants to rob you from all the joys of life, the excitement of life, and everything I have planned for your life, but you, I have ordained for you to have the ball and to score. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come that we'd be on defense, over here reacting to everything in life, trying to survive and hold on. He came to put us on offense so that we could initiate and fulfill the mission and purpose that God has ordained for us. Foley will never be the same because of Summit Church. It will never be the same because what God's gonna do in and through you. But you've gotta get on offense. You've got to initiate. One of the great champions of the word of God that I love in the Old Testament, he became a national champion before David killed Goliath and became a great champion. There was another young man who did a heroic feat at a critical time in the history of Israel. You remember, Israel said they wanted to have a king. So God gave them their first king. And, and, and King Saul had a son by the name of Jonathan. Now, there's a time when their arch enemy, the Philistines, came swooping in. They would come in, especially at harvest time, very military people. And, and Israel really didn't have a military because God had always fought the battles for them. And so they were ill equipped to take on the Philistines. Philistines would come in, dominate them at harvest time, steal the harvest take the women and children captive and make them slaves, and then they would possess the high points in the country to control Israel. And Israel's army, when we read this story in just a moment, Israel's army had fled and dispersed, and they were hiding in holes and caves. They were terrified of these Philistines. But there's one man who went from defense to offense— And his name was Jonathan. I'm gonna read you just a little bit of this from 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning with verse six. Now, Jonathan, he's back in a cave. He says to his young armor bearer, "'Come, let us go over to the outpost "'of those uncircumcised fellows,' "'those people out of covenant with God, "'and perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf.'" Perhaps, hello. He said, but he did not hear this, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I love what the armor bearer said, do all you have in mind, his armor bearer said, go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. So down in verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost, look said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan, and his armor bearer, said, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. And what happened, Jonathan's armor bearer climbed up. There's a squad of 20 men of Philistine on this outpost and Jonathan took them on. And his armor bearer didn't even have his own weapons. Jonathan struck the first man down. When he struck him down, the armor bearer grabbed his sword. They fought back to back and defeated the 20 man squad. There was one man left alive and he fled with such terror and he came back and brought a report to the rest of the Philistine armies and said, the Lord came against us and destroyed us and he's gonna destroy our whole army if we don't flee terror struck the army of the Philistines. They took off running back to their home country, left all the slaves and all their goods behind. When the word got out, the other armies of Saul came out of their holes and started chasing down the Philistines. But what happened? One man went from defense to offense that triggered a movement that brought salvation to a nation. Think about it. One man with his armor bearer. So I've got a three-point message for you, and I'm gonna give it to you quick. Three critical decisions we have to make, Summit. If we're gonna be all that God has ordained us to be in this day and this time to fulfill his will, his purposes, and see a radical transformation come to this region, To our state that will impact our nation. And when our nation is impacted, we will touch the nations of the world. Amen. Amen. So why not let it begin here in this place today with us. I'm calling for the spirit of Jonathan to get on us. And we will come out of our places where we've been hiding and we've been passive and, and we've been reacting and we've been exhausted and we're over here. Get out of those places, come out, and let's take a stand for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? We're going to take a stand. First decision, he had to step out of the dark place he was in, hiding. And take personal responsibility. We've got to take personal responsibility to take back that which has been taken from us. We have allowed everything that's contrary to the teaching of God's Word, the truth of God's Word. I want to tell you something. We don't live in a post-Christian culture. We live in a post-truth culture now where there is no longer absolute truth. And everything that we know is taught from God's word to be true and right is now looked down upon and criticized and even made fun of. And then they try to cancel it, but they can't. Because see, God's truth is truth, everlasting. You can make up what you think is truth, but it will not last. It will fade away. It will be exposed. All deception will be exposed in due time. All the lies will be exposed in due time. We are carriers and bearers of the truth because we have Jesus. Amen. We are bearers of the light. Therefore, and here's what I know. As dark as it is spiritually in our nation at this time, it doesn't take much light to help other people be drawn to that light. We, we, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Come on. We start letting our little light shine around here. We start loving people the way Jesus called us to love them. We start finding ways to serve and add value to them. We, we start reaching out to them. As, as Danny sang last night, we start telling them about Jesus. We start telling them what he's done for us. Man, some people say, well, you know, I just don't know how to approach somebody about the Lord. Tell your story. Tell your story. Tell people what he's done for you. Man, people want to hear it. Oh, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you what Jesus did for me. Hey, you know, just tell them. You tell them, your, your life will become so attractive, they'll start following you around. Want to hear more of what, what he's done for you. Hey, look around. Oh, they are. They're following me around. They're following me, you know, hey, they're following me around. Yeah, they're following me around. They're following you. You know why they're attracted to you? Do you know why? Because, see, you've got goodness and mercy are with you. And they can't define it, but they can sense it. They sense there's goodness here, there's mercy here. Oh, there's love here and they're drawing, they're following and guess where they're going to follow you to they're going to follow you on sunday <laughs> where did i get here where's this place it's called summit church and, and by the way by the way by the way by the way buckle up they get a little rowdy <laughs> and when they come here guess what this is where god speaks this is where God moves. This is where God fills everything with his presence. Whew. That's what God's called us to do. This man stepped out. He had enough courage to step out. We just need enough courage to step out and stand for what we know is right. I tell you what, I, I, I'm praying some of you will get the call to get on the local school boards. Some of you might get the call to get on the local commissions. Because, see, I I believe we need to have a voice. What's going on right now in our nation, what they're trying to teach our children, come on. We we need voices of truth and reason that that are filled with the Spirit of God and the love of God to lead. I'm glad we got a, a, a fire chief who has a spiritual sensitivity. He's here with us this morning. We pray your blessing on you. I pray you'll find so much favor in everything you do. God will advance you in leadership. Right. We need men and women of integrity, men and women of faith. God's calling us to step out, Summit Church. We need some Jonathans right now. I pray that we, Summit, will be the one that will do that, that we'll be the ones taking the light to this dark world. Our world so filled with so much anxiety right now. I had a friend of mine the other day asked me a strangest question. I've known this friend, he's an athlete, and uh, we play tennis together, and we shoot basketball together, and we work out together all the time. And I've known him for now almost 50 years. And he asked me a question the other day. He said, hey, um, do you have any Xanax? I said, what? He said, you know, uh, Xanax. I said, I'm not sure if I know what a Xanax is, but I think it's something. Is that supposed to calm you down or something? He says, yeah, it's it, it, it kind of helps with anxiety and calms you down, Xanax. And I said, "No, I, I don't have any Xanax." I said I can probably find some. <laughs> I'll probably know somebody's got one. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, we got like sixty thousand people in our church, so I'm sure some of them got some Xanax somewhere. You know, <laughs> if I got up and asked, "Hey, anybody got Xanax?" They'd probably have a bunch of them run forward. Yes, brother, I got them right here. You know. But it was a strange question. And so I looked at my friend. And I said, are you dealing with, with anxiety? What, are, you, are you having some anxiety issues going on? And he said, well, not, you know. Not, not. Men don't like to talk about stuff like that. You know, men don't want, we never want to admit it if we did. And I said, well, I know there's been a lot of, this last year has created a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. I said, you know, I, there was, I, I, I got this crazy thing called shingles. Has anybody ever had shingles? Oh, I have some fellow brothers and sisters understand my nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but my Jesus. I got these crazy shingles. They blew me up all across here and down here and around my back. And for 10 weeks, I'm dealing with this stuff. And I've never been sick. I always thought I had a little Superman cape on underneath my shirt. You know? And that shingles hit me, and I'm out praying at night trying to get rid of the thing, then I have so much pressure coming across my chest with those shingles, I went to my cardiologist thinking I'm having a heart attack. He said, there's nothing wrong with you. Your heart's fine. He said, there's the shingles. Those nerves are responding. I said, well, tell them to stop. And I'm out of one eye and suddenly I'm feeling this oppression. It's like this uh, oppression. And I'm going, what is this? What, what's this? What am I feeling? What is this thing? And I'm, I'm going to my wife and my wife's a counselor. She's brilliant. And I go my wife and I said, honey, I'm feeling this heaviness. She says, you're feeling anxiety. I said, no, I'm not. Coaches don't feel anxiety. <laughs> she said, you're having anxiety. No, I'm not. I, I refuse to accept. She said, Be careful, you might be having a panic attack. (laughs) I said, coaches don't have panic attacks. We create panic attacks, but we don't have them. I started praying against that spirit of fear. I said, God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and that of a sound mind. I'm going to set my mind on things above. I refuse to let the enemy take over and intimidate me and try to get me on the defense, thinking I'm full of anxiety and I need a Xanax. I'll tell you what I do need. I need more of Jesus, Holy Spirit, more faith, more goodness. I need to walk in the light of God. I need to be here. Then my wife reminded me, You took Xanax one time. I said, when did I take Xanax? She said, when you had to have an MRI on your head and you're claustrophobic and you didn't want want them to put that thing across you and put you in that tube, so you didn't know, I gave you three of them. (laughs) I got three of them. I'm confessing, I've never told that to anybody i would mess up my whole reputation in South Florida if I told him. Yeah, I had three Xanax. Yeah, I went. <laughs> it's real. People are struggling. The darkness is enveloping the souls. They're putting on the best show they can on the outwards outside, but I'm telling you, they're just waiting for you to come to them and tell them about Jesus. So he is the healer. He's the source. He's the one of peace. They're just waiting for somebody's got to step out. And then here's the second key thing I love in this story. He didn't step out alone. He had his armor bear. He teamed up. For us to achieve all that God wants us to do, we've got to team up. It's so important that you're teaming up inside the church. You're teaming up with the church, teaming up with your small groups, teaming up with your ministry groups. We have to team up. The great thing has been blessed. Pastor, I'm so glad you've got great men in your life. And, and, and the brother prayed, my goodness gracious, what, to have, a, have an overseer like that, to have a man like Sam over here who's been one of your teachers and mentors all your life. We all need that in our life. Men, you need other strong men around you. You're not strong enough on your own to fulfill all that God's called you to. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Come on. Team we need one another. I played football in Ohio and I was an uh, all state running back in Ohio. And when I went to college, I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to be a superstar, even my freshman year. I was very confident. <laughs> you know, I, I weighed about 210 and uh, had decent speed for a white boy. And, and so, I go to school and I'm in there, but here's what I did not realize, there's a difference between hitting 250, 60 pound boys and a 280 to 300 pound man, especially if that man just came out of the Vietnam jungle. I played back in the 60s and we had a whole bunch of guys in our team that were on the GI Bill and these boys had strange looks in their face. And if you guys that went through the Vietnam era, you know what I'm talking about and there was an unwritten code on the team I played on in college, kill every freshman you can. (laughs) They had notches. They they put notches over their locker of of the freshmen. they were able to destroy and drive off the team. And then the coaches in our day, they didn't believe in giving you water. Water made you weak. They gave you a salt tablet. That's all they would give you. If you want to know how it really was, you watch the old movie, Junction City Boys, where Bear Bryant was the coach at Texas A&M. And he was running a camp out of Junction City, Texas. And it was so brutal that the guys would sneak out at night, out of their cabins, and hitchhike their way to try to get anywhere they could, as far as they could, from Junction City. Because Bear Bryant was killing them in there. It was brutal. And that's the era I played football in. It was brutal. When they would bring water out every once in a while, they had it in a bucket. Water in a bucket with ice and a towel. And here's how you would drink. You pick the towel up. Now, you all would understand this term, because I'm in Alabama, praise God. Florida, they don't know what this means. You would sup it. So, you take the towel and go, <laughs> sup it out of the towel. Sup it out of the towel. Well, the freshmen, we're the last ones in line on the bucket. You got all these linemen with their dirty, bloody, muddy hands grabbing that towel. And I mean, listen, by the time we got to that water bucket, it was so stagnant a fly didn't want to land on it. But desperate people will do desperate things. (laughs) And I remember one practice, they they were dropping like flies. They were dragging people off. And and there was no mercy on the team I played on. They would grab you. If you passed out in practice, the trainers would grab you, drag you over, and like throw you in a pile. (laughs) And then drag them over and just throw them in a pile. Nobody was treating them. Nobody just drag them off the field, just get them off the field. And at the end of practice, I have thrown up everything I've eaten for days. I'm dehydrated. I'm sick. I'm delirious. And for the first time, thoughts are hitting me. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. The coach blows the whistle, line up for wind sprints, 40-yard wind sprints. You guys know what those are like at the end of practice for conditioning. And I don't know that I can get down. I'm sucking air (laughs) like this. And the running backs all ran together. And then something, something strange happened. I'm standing there gasping, (laughs) and this senior, all-American running back by the name of Charlie Pell, walked by me, and he said this, hey, rookie, well, he had never spoken to me for, you know, the whole first week of practice, he had never spoken to me, and I was shocked that he knew my name. He said, hey, rookie, run with me. When he said that, I got down right beside Charlie, and I just literally drafted off him. I I, I just locked in on his his feet, and as he took off, and I just kind of ran right beside him and somehow got back, lined up by him, drafted off, drafted off, got through the wind sprints. When he blowed the whistle into practice, I collapsed right there on the field, exhausted. I didn't think I could even make my way into the locker room. That's how exhausted I was. And Charlie walked by me, and he said, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. That's all he said. Love me. So where do you think I lined up the next day in practice? <laughs> Charlie's over there. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't talk to me. I'm a freshman. He's upperclassman. Get in the next drill. Where's Charlie? Oh, Charlie's Okay. And I got through summer practice, through two days. By the second game of the season, I was starting. I was ready to quit until Charlie said, hey, rookie, run with me. Who do you need to be talking to? I said, come on, run with me. Come on, join me in my my men's Bible study in the morning. Come on. Hey, why don't you come with me? We're going to go down and do some work at the church. Hey, come hang with me. Hey, we're going to go shoot some hoops tonight down here. Hey, come hang with me. Come run with me. Hey, come join me. Girls, come shop with me. (laughs) And we know you're more spiritual than we are. (laughs) We all need that someone. Pastor quoted that scripture earlier uh, in Romans. Your faith will help me and my faith will help you. Iron sharpening iron, that's what it's all about. We've got to team up. And finally, what I love about this story, not only do you take the personal responsibility to step out and initiate action, not only do you have the wisdom to team up so he would be stronger because we're stronger together. He could have never accomplished that without his armor bearer. But the third thing was this. When he started climbing up, there was absolutely this resolve in him that he was all in because he made himself completely vulnerable as he was climbing, he was all in. That's what it's gonna take, church, we gotta be all in. You know one of the blessed things, uh, pastor that we have at Christ Fellowship? Those who started with us 37 and a half years ago are still with us today. The five families that launched it, their children, their grandchildren, the first 100 are with us today. People made a commitment back when we were in a schoolhouse that they were committed to what the mission of the church was. We were going to love God and we were going to love people at their point of need. We, we want people to know God. We want people to grow in their faith so they're equipped to help others find them and then with their life impact the world. I noticed that in your, in your list. That's the mission of the church. That's what God's called us to. And all he's looking for is for us to be all in. And sometimes we think, well, you know, well, I just don't have the spiritual gifts of this person, or, or I'm just not equipped like them. Listen, God will take you exactly where you are. He's just looking for your heart to be fully committed to him. That's all he's looking for. Guys, I've gone long. Do I have time for one more football story? Do I, can I have one more football story? Just, just one, and I'm going to let you go. I took over uh, my first little coaching assignment when I left college and uh, I needed a job. I got a coaching assignment um, in a high school in Florida, and they'd never had a winning season in this high school. And um, so, in the year before, they'd only had like 20-some players on the team, and this little high school never had a winning season. And so, uh, I think that's about right. So, I went out, I went to all the local churches, all the communities, and I started recruiting. If you're not know a pad for this story, it's, it's gonna be a great story. So, just here we go. So, uh, <laughs> and to my surprise, I, I put the word out now, if you come out and you try out and you work hard, I'll dress you, you'll play for the games. I was shocked 100 players showed up for tryouts. Well, I didn't know what to do because he only had like 28 kids on the team before. So I started looking at them athletically, lining them up, make sure the ones that looked athletic and played the year before got good equipment. So we're going through, we use all the varsity equipment, all the junior varsity equipment, all the freshman equipment. I think we were sending guys down to get equipment from the Pee Wee Leagues, local Pee Wee Leagues, try to put equipment on people. And finally, the last guy, the last guy, I don't want to get him too tall, right here came, his name was Carl Pierce. And this is exactly what he looked like (laughs) right there, Carl Pierce. And I said, I said, son, uh, what position are you going to play? He said, "Uh, I'm going to be a receiver coach. I said, okay, receiver. Hey, we got receiver pads left back in there. They said, coach, we haven't got anything left back there. I said, you got to have something. He said, well, yeah, we got one pair of shoulder pads left. That's all. I said, bring them out. We'll make them fit. Well, the year before, we had this guy who was a 300-pounder defensive lineman. Okay? Carl's shoulders about like this. So, we bring him out. I put the shoulder pads down over his head, and it falls down, and he sticks his arm up through the neck hole of the shoulder pad. And he says, "I I think... I think these are too big, coach. I said, no, son, think about it this way. You can catch the ball from any position. <laughs> so we took a bunch of old t- towels, uh, chief, and we taped them up under the shoulder pads. But no matter what we did, they would fall down over his shoulder. It was pathetic. So I looked at him and I said, uh, son, what size helmet do you need? And he was like a six or something, I mean a real small, just about like this microphone. And <laughs> I said, we got any sixes in there? They said, no, we only got the one helmet left. Bring it out, we'll make it fit. Well, it fit the guy with the 300 pounder with the big shoulder pads. It was like an eight and three quarter helmet, just a big old head. I put that thing down on him and he rattled around in there. We put triple cheek pads and then we got socks and stuffed socks up everywhere. But no matter what we do with Carl, when he would run, come out on the field, no joke, his first practice, he runs out on the field, the helmet shifts around and his nose is sticking out the ear hole of the helmet. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. Well, there's only one pair of pants left, you guessed it. Both his legs could not fill out one leg of those pants. But he put them on, we didn't have a belt, we used shoestrings for that. And when Carl would run out on the field, his helmet would be around here on the side. He'd be holding his pants. His shoulder pads were laying down on the side, holding his pants, trying to do a one-arm jumping jack. And if he let go of his pants, they fell down. <laughs> so he was, a, I mean, nothing fit him. He was not athletic at all. But all did he have a heart, he wanted to play football. So what can I say? The kid just kept trying. They made fun of him. Everybody made fun of him. He couldn't do any of our drills. So he ended up holding his pants and holding a blocking dummy in drills. And they would knock him down every time they hit the dummy because he he only weighed about 110 pounds. He was really skinny. (laughs) So we made a promise everybody would dress out. So I dressed him out for the first game. I said, Carl, here's the deal. I want you to run out last. Go back, stand in the back of the line, and don't move during the warm-ups. Just stand there and hold your pants. <laughs> That's what happened. He, ran, he just he'd stand back here, holding his pants and trying to hold his helmet straight. <laughs> here he was, didn't you? But you know we won our first game. Praise God! Won our second game. Boom! Won our third game. Boom! Won our fourth game. We have now tied the best record in the history of the school with four wins and we're four and undefeated. My first year of coaching high school, varsity, football. I am pumped up. I'm thinking we're gonna do this, but the next week here comes in, one of the top ranked teams in the state comes in. We trail the whole game in the fifth game. We're trailing the entire game. There's just a couple minutes left to go. We finally score the go-ahead touchdown. Now all we got to do, kick the ball, contain them for one series, let the clock run out. We're 5-0, new school record. We're on our way to the state playoffs. I am jacked up. I am pumped. I am fired up. So we do it. I got an assistant coach by the name of War Caesar Jakes. He played linebacker at Florida State. And and war is a big man, built like Atlas. Big man right here. And, he, and he's standing beside me. And and I'm looking out there, and the kickoff teams out there, and he's responsible for the kickoff team, especially the teams, and I'm counting going one, two, three. I said there's only ten guys out there. Ten ref time out, time out. Ref says, no more timeouts. I said, War. I said, We only got ten guys out there. Get somebody out there on the contain moment. He didn't even look. He responded because I hit him in the chest. I was not a pastor then. (laughs) I hit Ward, I got Ward, get everybody on the field. He turned and grabbed the first person standing beside him and threw him onto the field. And to my terror, Carl Pierce went running out on the field, holding his pants, trying to get his helmet straight. And he's on the end, the contained person for the kickoff. And I'm screaming, "Oh, no. I'm going, oh, no. I can just see what's going to happen. And they blow the whistle and they take off running down the field. I looked over at my assistant coach. I did not have the love of God in me. He knew it my assistant coach started praying. I'd never heard him pray like that before. He was praying, oh, Lord Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. He was praying, Carl was running down the field. It looked like body parts were falling off of him. Next thing I know, Boom, there's this big collision down around the 25 yard line. They're screaming. Somebody hollers, Fumble, fumble, fumble. I said, Who's got the ball? Who's got the ball? And here it comes. A miracle comes. He comes out of there. Carl comes running with his hand on his pants, I got a coach. I got a coach. Poor <laughs> Caesar Jake's going, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I got the game films on Saturday morning. Carl went running down the field, this is no joke. He went running down the field, had hold of his pants, his helmet turned sideways. He did not see where he was going. The running back ran into him and got tangled up in Carl's pads. As he's falling down, the ball comes loose. Our players dive in to get the ball and one of our players hit Carl in the back and knocked him over onto the football. He didn't see it, but he felt it and he grabbed it. Monday morning, I got a pass from the principal's office I went to Carl's home room, got him out of class, drove him down to the local sporting goods store. We went into Pee Wee football department. I got him a new helmet, new shoulder pads, got him new pants, got him a belt, got him a jersey, got him everything he needed. I said, son, anything else you want while we're here? He says, yeah, I want some thumper pads. Thumper pads? What do you want thumper pads for? Uh, My guys back in in that day called forearm pads thumper pads because they're going to thump you, whoop, whoop, upside your head, whoop, whoop, upside your head. I said, well, you're a receiver. Why do you want thumper pads? He said, coach, I'm going to become a specialty team specialist. I said, you are? He says, yeah. He said, I love running down on that kickoff team. So that day, I brought him out, and he was captain for that practice. The guys cheered him on. They'd been making fun of him, and I showed him in our game film. I showed the play. They laughed so hard, but that day, a new respect came on that young man, and I put him in the next game, Pastor, in between my two best men on the kickoff team just to honor his heart and his effort because he didn't have any skill, but he had heart. He had no skill at all, but he had heart. And I put him in there and and you know, hey, 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 you know what happened? You know what happened? He ran down the field, the running back ran right to him and got tangled up in him again. I learned that running backs were drawn to Carl. And what Carl would do is he would run up to them and they would run to him and then he would just lay down. And they'd, they'd trip over him, they'd trip. Do <laughs> so you know at the end of the season, he got the most improved player award? And next year, the team voted him. Listen, the team voted Carl the next year captain of the specialty teams. Right here, Carl Pierce. Give it up for Carl Pierce. Okay, hit the keyboard. So here's what I'm trying to get to. I don't care how much talent you think you have or don't have. I don't care if things aren't fitting in your life right now. It really doesn't matter what others think. All that matters is, do you have a heart that's passionate after the things of God? The Holy Scriptures say this in Chronicles. The eyes of the Lord... Do we have that verse? The eyes of the Lord reign throughout all the earth, looking to show himself strong. Well, here it is. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts, say that with me, are fully committed to him. He's looking for hearts that are fully committed to him. He will show himself strong to you. Some at church, it's time to step out. It's time to team up, and it's time to make an all-in commitment that we are going to be God's church, and we're going to be a part of a radical transformation in this region, and we're going to take personal responsibility to see the mission of God fulfilled here to Summit Church. Amen? I want to pray for you, Father. I pray in the matchless name of Jesus. I pray, God, that today your Holy Spirit will call us out. We will step out of any place where we have been, that we've been on defense. And, Lord, today we will make a resolve that we're going to step into an offensive position spiritually. And we're going to take initiative And we are going to begin to set the pace as we follow the leadership of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we're gonna begin to allow ourselves to shine bright and tell others our story and the good news of hope and life that is in Jesus. We don't have to rely on medication. We can rely on the great healer of all things. Lord, you are the author and the finisher of our faith, and we're looking to you to help us. Lord, people are desperate for hope and life, and we have the message and the life. And Lord, give us the resolve to team up and to look for those that we need to team up with. And we need to call and say, hey, come run with me. And Father, may we be all in. That's all you've ever longed for. May we not kind of compare ourselves to others. May we just look to you with a heart fully surrendered. That's all you've ever longed for. Because you will take that heart and you will use that heart to do great things. Gideon thought he was the least of the least of the least. And you saw in him a mighty warrior. God, I see in this Summit Church mighty warriors. And we're calling that mighty warrior out in them today. They're going to step out, they're going to team up, and they're going to make an all-in commitment for the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Do one more thing for me, Summit of church. Everybody stand up. Get everything out of your hands. Everything out of your hands. Stand up. Come on. Quickly. Quickly. Stand up. Now, in football, we holler about a breakdown position as your feet are spread about the width of your shoulders. And when I say break down, you have a slight bend in your knees and your hands come out forward and your weight is leaning balanced forward on the balls of your feet. Okay, so let's go to that position, okay? When I say break down, just go to that position. Break down. Come on, come on, boys, you gotta be ready. You gotta be, slow. Okay. don't go too low. Some of you, it'd be hard getting up. All right, all right, come back, come back up. Now, when I holler break down next time, we're gonna break down and do a clap. Here's the clap, one, two, three, one. Let's try that one time, let's go love it. So when I say break down, you break down, you do the clap. One, two, three, one, come up in the name of Jesus. Then I want you to turn to at least two people and I want you to say this to them and then let them say it back to you. Get on offense. Get on offense. All right. Here's my lineman right there, baby. Get on offense. All right, here we go. I'm going to say, break down. I say, ready, break down, break down, do the clap. Jesus' name. Turn to two people, tell them, get on offense. By the way, if you don't do this, we'll have you running laps after service. <laughs> All right, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Ready, break down. Jesus, get on offense. Come on, get on offense.